Is your business stuck? Tired of leaving money on the table? Are you ready to take it to the next level? Join us as we dive deep into the small business secrets successful entrepreneurs are implementing to see massive results. This is the Business Growth Hacks Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing. Here's your host, Andrew Brockenbush. What's going on, small business nation? Welcome back to another episode of the show. Just me today. I told John it's a beautiful Friday. He's got a lot going on. I told him, stay at home, hang out, enjoy the day off. I'm even thinking about letting the letting the team do a four-day work week soon. I don't know. That's we'll see what we'll oh. see what happens. I, I'm hearing good things. I don't know. We've got a lot going on. I don't know how productive we'll be, but we're gonna we're gonna adventure into that sometime soon. Let's kick this thing off like we always do with a little bit of an icebreaker. Let's kick it! Ice, icebreaker. Ice <laughs> All right, Eric, would you rather have a time machine or a teller teleportation device? Time machine or teleportation? Teleportation device. I probably would like a teleportation device because I could go to so many places. I'm, you know, I traveled a lot back early in my career and that sounds fun on airplanes and stuff. Yeah, but, but nah, it starts I'd to run out. just like get there quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and I really do think I have been born and am living during the right time frame. Yeah. So when anytime I look at like the past, I certainly would not go to the past. No, nothing, yeah. <laughs> nothing there for you. I like people with history, but not necessarily history. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, you're watching like 1883 and 1923 and all those other kind of Yellowstone spinoffs. And I'm just like, yeah. that looks, Terrible. Like it's miserable. It's yeah. Miserable. <laughs> I think so. I, I think I'm with you too. Like I think the time machine idea is fun for a moment, right? Like, oh, okay, right. I got to experience that or see that or meet this person. But I think about purely from an efficiency standpoint, and then like just my life, I definitely believe that the I just feel like that, you know, uh, teleportation device would be just so much easier because I can't afford to fly private yet. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was like, yeah, right. Um, well, and in a time machine, I've never seen a movie where there was a time machine that things went well, right? Like you always screw something up, like you exactly. in the past and you change history in some way and then you got to figure out how to get back there or whatever. And again, I just like, I, I like indoor plumbing. I like, you know, technology, like all those things. So yeah. I don't really have any like desire to go back into the past. To I'm, meet I'm with you, man. I'm with you. And, I think you, you know. The future, who knows? Like, do you really want to? Yeah, yeah. I think about the same thing. It's like the idea of futuristic worlds is cool, yeah. but it's also quite terrifying based on the yeah, state of look where Mad we're at Max now. Beyond know? the Thunderdome or something. I wouldn't exactly. do well there either. So yeah, so it's, yeah, oh, it's man. pretty good. All right, I've always well, kidded that I wasn't a survivor. Like if the zombie apocalypse comes, I want to be like the first to go. Yeah, like, you're just like, I'm good. like yeah, I, take yeah, me. I'm not, Lord, take yeah, me. They, I'm in Atlanta. And if they ever like, yeah, Atlanta got destroyed. I'm like, cool, good. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, just like, no thanks. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Well, how about a formal introduction? Eric Holtzclaw is the chief strategist and dojo master at Liger, where he is the resident expert in guiding businesses to find their identities and core values, craft their visions, and establish their brands. He's a serial entrepreneur just like me and a host of the Claw Podcast where he interviews business owners and entrepreneurs. Eric has contributed to magazines, online publications, and even wrote the book Laddering, Unlocking the Potential of Consumer Behavior. Eric, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for having me. So, you know, kind of find some common ground here. I, I've got to ask you, how did you, because like my entrepreneur journey has been really fun and like, you know, even... I've talked talk, talked about it a little bit on this show, how my first entrepreneur endeavor was my teacher had given me this really cool rock. And I thought, oh, this is a great rock. And then I tried to go around the neighborhood to try to sell this rock. 
So yeah. like, my, like, I started off really young. How about you? How did you get into entrepreneurship? I mean, I, I fell into it. So my grandfather was the serial entrepreneur. He owned a bunch of things and it kind of skipped a generation. So my parents mostly worked for kind of big fortune 500 global 2000. So when this like surfaced to me, they were like, oh, so there's that thing, right? But if yeah, I look sure. back into my early life, like you, when I was in high school, uh, I was on the news, the school newspaper and we used to go and lay out the school newspaper, like on the blue lines with all the stuff. And that's when desktop publishing was coming out. And I put together a business plan for the school about how we should buy a desktop publishing system that we could save money on it. I pitched it to the principal. And that day I got him to spend like $2,000 to buy this nice. system, which and I never even really thought about it. I'm like, okay, well, so that was really and truly probably Your my first sale. Yeah, 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 sure, yeah, yeah. And so got him to do it, told him when we would pay it back and we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have to travel and do all this other kind of stuff. So there was that, but... Early in my career, at the age of five, I either wanted to be president of the United States or I wanted to work for IBM. So those were my two kind of goals in life. Nice. And so I planned out my life to end up at a school here in Georgia that had a really strong relationship with IBM. And I worked at IBM at the age of 18. So I was wow. co-oping for IBM at the age of 18. That's amazing. And while I love IBM, I realized I really didn't like the big company rigor, right? Like you got there at a certain time, you know, whatever. And here in Atlanta, when that occurred, there were a bunch of, uh, they, IBM was laying people off. They didn't know how to do it. And so they were giving people way too much money and those people were way too young. And so it ended up birthing a lot of startups here in Atlanta. And I was recruited by a startup that had been started by, it was 40 people and 30 of them were ex-IBMers. And so there I met my first CEO. It's a guy who started a, what's what's called Peachtree Accounting Software. It's now Sage. Yeah. And so he and I hit it off and I did a bunch of deals with him and a bunch of deals with another guy and really kind of found my stride. Like I really liked that startup world um, and haven't really, I, I give these presentations to Vistage and one of the Vistage chairs, Vistage's uh, CEO roundtable. Yeah. Uh, one of the Vistage chairs, he, when he introduced me, he said, so we're, our speaker this morning is unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that's the most accurate I've ever had anybody introduce me. I can't figure that's, out how to get a job. So that's yeah, totally I just fair. create them for myself. So there you go. That's that's so funny. I've, I've often thought about that for myself. I'm like, are my skills transferable? You know, they're like, not. You're screwed. So there you go. Yeah. I've mm -hmm. been just just like yourself. I mean, I, you know, right out of high school, I worked for Chick Fil A. I got some good experience as like a grand opening trainer. I would go from Chick Fil A to yeah. Chick Fil A and do that. And then I opened up my first ever business, which was a recording studio, actually, which is hilarious that I'm in podcasting now. But uh, yeah, I did the recording studio for several years. My dad passed away. It was back in 2009. And so I was like, okay, what, like, what's next? And so I closed the recording studio, went to work for Apple, did kind of the same job as Chick-fil-A, oh, was a yeah. grand opening and sales trainer. Uh, really, really feel like I got my like business acumen at my time at Apple. But kind of like you, like I was just like, this is fun. I like the culture. I like the, the pace. But I didn't like that it was so rigid, right? Like be here at, yeah. you know, six, be here at 11. And it was like so like, I don't know, it was kind of changing all the time. And I was just like, oh, this is like awful. Like I want some level of consistency, which when you yeah. become a business owner, you realize that's actually, that's not true. Could be further yeah. from the right. truth, right? right. But uh, <laughs> it was, it was definitely the way I wanted to go. And so about 10 years ago is when I stepped out of Apple and opened up the agency that I run now. And, and so, yeah, very, very similar in that regard that I just realized like, I, I like working for myself a lot better than I like working for other people, even though now I've got probably a thousand bosses, you know, different, you know, different right. clients, yeah, but, uh, yeah. but it's been a lot of fun. So there's something that we both talk a lot about, I think in our 
from our experience, our past, and, and that's marketing. And obviously marketing, I'm actually writing a book right now called WTF is Marketing because marketing just is Un oh, yeah. It's very complicated. It's, yeah, it's yes. complicated. It's yeah, unrecognizable. Yeah. It's like, what is marketing nowadays? Mm -hmm. And I know that that's like a big topic that you cover. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you moved from the last startups that you were with and the last companies you were with into founding the company you're with now? And, and what, what sets that apart from like, you know, other marketing agencies out there? Yeah. So, you know how some people have accidental kids? Yeah, that's, that happens. You know, like the uh -oh kids? <laughs> yeah. I had an uh oh company. All right. So I'm a recovering technologist. So back early in my career, I ran development shops. And during that period of time, I got introduced to research and fell in love with it. And so I started a research company in 2002 and ran that till 2012. And we did usability and qualitative research and all that. And I, and marketing today is a combination of technology and understanding people. Yep. I mean, if you know those two things, you can do marketing because marketing isn't what it was before. In 2012, I sold my interest in that business and I swore I would never start another company. And I became, because I'm, I'm really good at like working for a crazy CEO who has an idea and operationalizing <laughs> it. And so I started working for some crazy CEOs, loved them all, but they were all crazy and they couldn't get their companies like operationally strong and all that kind of stuff. And I was doing operational work for them. And while I was there, they would be like, hey, so could you run my marketing department? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll run that too. And so I would get the operations working and then I would have... I ended up at one point, I had like six different companies and I wasn't doing operations anymore. I was doing marketing for them. And so my long-term assistant, I was driving one, home one night and she's like, I was about to sign another client. She's like, you know, you don't, you have like six jobs. This is not like a thing. You should really turn this into a company. And so I acquired the company that was doing most of my execution, which is why, why it's Liger. So it's a combination of two things, right? Liger yeah. and a, a time, Liger and Lion and a Tiger. There it is. Yeah. And it's also based on the movie Napoleon Dynamite, yeah. which is one of my favorite cult favorites. And so we positioned this firm in a way, it's the firm that I wish I could have found when I started engaging with some marketing firms back at my research company. Uh, you know, they, we don't even call ourselves an agency. We call ourselves a firm. So an agency wants you to give them a creative brief. They want to do a thing for you. We are a marketing firm. We see marketing like accounting or law where there's different practice areas. And so you may need one or the other, depending upon where you are in your customer, your kind of company journey, right? Along the process of building yourself and those types of things. And so we have these interchangeable parts. And so we'll start off with a company. We'll get the brand established. We'll get them going, start to build out the marketing ecosystem, and they don't have to know marketing. It's exactly like why I use a PEO for HR. I don't want to understand HR. I don't exactly. want to yeah. know my taxes, like, right? Because it's way too complicated. There are way too many things and they change way too quickly. Like we're all talking about chat GPT right now. What is that going to mean? And how's yeah. it going to impact SEO? You can't keep up with that as a marketer. Like no. specifically the marketers we work with, they're in meetings every day. You know, they're dealing with the politics. They need to understand their company's business objectives. But actually, when the rubber hits the road, they need to lean to experts about like, what's now? Like, what's now? What should I be doing at this point? And I don't see that changing. I think marketing is going to be just like a law firm or accounting practice moving forward. You have different areas of expertise, somewhere around 20 of them. And you need to tap into different ones depending upon what you might be doing. And you can't, there's no such thing as a generalist marketer yeah. anymore so yeah, that's, that's my opinion that's that's awesome man and i i spent some time on your website and there's like some uh, even the language you guys use i like really appreciate like you know it's obviously it's fun and it's funny but like even under your services there's something that you have as like one of your service items uh titled marketing as a service 
And I yes. thought that that was really interesting. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Because I don't see, I mean, I look at a yeah. lot of agency websites and and that's not something I see often. Yeah, I mean, literally built this agency as the agency that I wish that I could have worked with, right? Yeah. So we have a, this retainer model and it's kind of an all-you-can-eat buffet. I mean, we put in place a, a, a large enough retainer based on where you are and what you need to do. And we interchange those parts on the back end, but we're not coming back to you over and over again and being like, okay, so now we need to use a high-level designer. So I need you to sign this and bring this right. person in. And now we've got to change this thing out and we got to do this. We're making those decisions for you on the back end. You're telling us what you want to do. And then within the scope of what we're doing, we're basically just delivering the right type of resource to make it happen. So you know, everybody, you know, software as a service, data as a service, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You don't really care. Like you don't care how the Chick-fil-A sandwich shows up at your, right. <laughs> on your tray, you know? You just want the Chick-fil-A sandwich. And so how can you make marketing the same thing? And so with the companies we work with, and I also like, we want to be the antithesis of all the PTSD they have with working other marketing yeah, agencies. Other agencies you know, yeah. Like we, we never knew what the bill was going to be. They were always doing this. Like, you know, they never brought us creative ideas, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, we want to be, become part of your team. So we don't want to be a partner. We want to be seen as part of your company. And we don't want to talk about money. Every time we get on a call or every month, like we want to put a retainer in place. We want to do good work. Uh, our mission statement is saving the world from boring, broken marketing. I and love we that. primarily work in B2B and B2B marketing is either boring because everybody thinks yes. it needs to be those like <laughs> inspirational photos and whatever, or it's broken because they don't know how to put the MarTech stack in place or and so we just like clear that out of the way. Like, what is it that we need to do? Do we need to make you more interesting, which is typically the first problem we solve? Or do we need to know how to execute that being interesting? Because you, it's doesn't. You could get the most beautiful pitch deck back from a marketing firm, and if you can't use it, then it's worthless. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's obviously some commonalities between what we're both doing. We're both, I would assume, to some extent, inbound marketing agencies. Um, mm -hmm. But that's something that you really talk about, which is demand generation versus lead generation. And I think that yeah. the average listener listening to our show and we have two kind of two audiences you know people that listen to our show either agencies that are trying to hack our ideas which is awesome or yeah. or it's um you know business owners that are kind of just trying to figure it out as they go right so if right. you could explain that a little bit can you can you kind of break down like the difference between demand generation versus lead generation yeah so and everybody uses like that it's always good because the language is so weird right yeah. you, you know you'll call it different things and so most of the b2b companies we work with lean very heavily into demand generation which is they're creating content they're getting inbound leads they're establishing themselves as an expert in the category and they don't do as much on the lead gen side b2c will do a lot more on the lead gen side where performance management you know where they're paying yeah. for leads so you know they're very interested in what is it? What's the click through and what does this cost and all those kind of things? I don't think one or the other is right or wrong. Like the problem is that people, it's like a religion. They choose one or the other for sure. and you need to have a little bit of both. So if you're paying for all of your leads, I, I liken this to, um, we had a refrigerator and the ice maker went bad. And so we had to go to the grocery store every single week and buy ice. Like we paid two or $3 for ice. Now I think an ice maker would have cost us, you know, 50 bucks. So that became not the most cost effective way for us to have ice, but it, we just would never fix the ice maker. Right. Sure. So when you're paying for leads, you're paying for ice over and over again. And if you stop paying for ice, you don't get any more leads and you haven't built all the right things in place for your ecosystem to then support it and just naturally bring you things in on the demand gen side, you're building it such that it's going to be sustainable. We, there needs to be a balance of both. I'm talking with my, my portfolio was primarily on the demand gen side right now. 
They haven't really ever paid for leads. They don't really understand lead gen that way. And I'm having to educate them very strongly. And we're building um, our own sort of performance management platform for that because it's also not about individual transactions. It's about over time, right? So like, when did I see you the first time? What else did I see? How long did it take to make that happen? Not a, I put up an offer because in the B2B world, it's you don't really just like, we'll give you 20% off. <laughs> you know, it's not how it happens, right? So balancing those two and knowing that if you put the engine in place, like we've grown the brands we work with organically, the, the growth is amazing, but they're reaching the outer limit of what we can do organically. And so now we got to think about some legion activities to add. If a client comes to us for legion, then we're talking to them very strongly about, well, how do we do some of the stuff over on the other side, build the right kind of content, keywords, those kind of things so that you're attracting traffic and you're not just paying for every single thing that comes across. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that when I think about the two, like demand gen versus lead gen, you know, I kind of think of top of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, right? Yeah. Uh, that top top of the funnel trust building stage is really more of the the um, you know demand stage, right? Like getting getting people to trust you and understand what you do. Like I think for a long time you saw like kind of a hybrid of they were trying to mesh it all together for a long time, and everything top of the funnel was gated. Right, yeah. you know, it's oh like, yeah, gated is dated. You know, don't it's just like it. yeah. don't do yeah. it anymore, right? Um, and there was, and that was such a big, big thing. And now I think we're in a different stage where it's like, hey, you just have to be like resource first all the time. I mean, it's why we host a podcast, right? Like, I mean, yeah. bottom line is like I'm putting this content out in the world, people are hearing it, and then they're hitting us up on an Instagram and saying, hey, like that thing you shared or that software you shared like really helped our business. And like, I'm not even trying to sell like at all. Like, I'm just trying to be a resource. Oh yeah, and yeah. business owners, I don't think. I've had several conversations over the years with businesses who are like, well, we just don't want to give up, give away too much. And it's like, oh, good grief. Why? You know? My argument to them is that if it's that simple, if like you give it away that I could just go copy and whatever, like yeah, then you really don't have a, model. you don't have a That's business, right. right? I agree. And, and you should make it as complicated. Like if you do a good job of educating me on what it is, I am so going to buy it from you. Right. Like, if, oh my gosh, that's terrible and complicated. Like you're not even charging enough, right? Like if you educate me on really and truly how you're doing your business, then I should at the end of the day be like, gosh, I would never want to do it myself. I might, your, yeah. your, your, your price is great. Like I should yeah. certainly use you, right? So yeah. I, and I share that, that story all the time from uh, whenever I was with Apple. We, the corporate level of our team would always get trained by the Ritz-Carlton team. And yeah. one of my one of my senior lead managers asked the, the Ritz Carlton team, like, hey, why do you give away all your secrets? And they were like, because we've been giving it away for years and no one ever takes our advice. And I was just like, <laughs> holy crap. Like, like absolutely. Like you can well I can. <laughs> that's my favorite thing too. Like when I was owned the research company, we would bring back the like the concepts and they'd be like, Well, I, I really feel like you sold us common sense. And I was like, Well, so if we were selling you common sense, why right. weren't you following why, it? Yeah, why didn't you have it already? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, man. So yeah. obviously, I really like the approach you guys are taking. And obviously, and I, and I really appreciate the fact that you understand that there is a need for both demand gen and lead gen. You know, I think that there are a lot of agencies and firms out there that like really kind of just like pigeonhole themselves into one or the other. And they think yeah. that that's like the right way. And it's like, right. no, like you have to be willing to adapt and look at the numbers and the analytics and say, okay, we've taken you so far. Now it's time to pivot. Now it's time to you know, add these additional things, whether it's, you know, paid advertising, uh, traditional or digital. I mean, there's a variety of different, you know, mediums to be successful. You know, there's not one way path, I think, to success. 
Um, one of our one of the things on our website says we don't take a one size fits all approach to marketing, and it's uh oh dang it what's the movie where the fat guy in a little coat you know he's got the right. I, I can't think of the name of the movie but he's got that jacket on and he's ripping it off you know um, <laughs> yeah. and it's just like that that's kind of our perspective as well is like you you have to be willing to kind of adapt so that being said how do you approach a campaign from the start like if a business owner comes to you today hey. You know, we're a B2B, you know, manufacturing firm. We're doing a little over a million dollars a year. Uh, our pain point right now is that revenue just seems to have kind of throttled. Like we can't, we can't kind of rev up. Get over, yeah. You know, what, like where do you start with that business? So, th- so that is really where the company founding came from. So Liger is a combination of two companies. One was a strategy company and the other was execution. And so to your point of what I see in the agency world is they'll come in and they're like really good at strategy, but then they can't execute. Right. Or if they're an execution company and they do social media or SEO or whatever it happens to be, well, of course, your problem is as SEO, you need to fix SEO. And it's like, well, maybe it's not. And so we start with the business first. So we have this very prescribed process that we go through. We do a discovery session. We ask them for everything else, everything an M&A company would ask them. So we want to know customers, like where are you headed? What's your two-year goal? What does that look like? Macro and micro trends impacting your business. Who's your ideal customer? We intake all that information. And then we look at it like we own the business. So like if I owned your business and I were going to do something from a marketing perspective, this is what I would do. This is how I'd spend the money. This is how I would lay it out. This is what it's going to look like. And then we present that back as our overall strategy, which includes a set of tactics. And it's not all the tactics tactics we do. Sometimes it's these and sometimes it's that. It's, again, not cookie cutter. It's like what really works for your business within the macro and macro trends you're in, where you're trying to head, where you might be stuck. And then that's what we look for them to adopt. So those are, we're mostly a retainer-based company, but we will do sort of this entry strategy slash discovery. And we do some of the fun stuff at the beginning of that of like how we can take them to market and make sure they're not boring and that kind of thing, what the activations would look like. But it's a business first approach, which is partially my background is good because of, you know, operational work. Like you look at the business, like where do you want to, how much money do we want to make in like the next, you know, 24 months? Like how do we get to that 24 months based on where we are today? Then we establish the marketing layers on top of it. And then to your point, it's not like establishing like, hey, we're going to do our P&Ls every month on the 15th. Like you've got to keep looking at it on a monthly basis and understand what's happening in the environment and be able to make a change. So it's almost like, like, it's almost like stock trading, Like You got your day trading component, your bond, like, what are you building? That's really going to continue to make sure your marketing works over time. So, so it's complicated, right? Like, yeah, hundred percent. I get it. Man. Like I want, I want the business owner or the company to tell me as much as they can tell me about the business. And then we'll put the marketing layer on top of it. Yeah. I, I feel like we definitely take a similar approach in that regard. I mean, people will call me and be like, oh, you know, I've only got this much money to spend. Where should I start? And it's like, I can't. I can't give you that answer without knowing a lot yeah. more. And a lot of times I'll tell people don't spend that money. You know, yeah. like maybe yeah. honestly, like, like you don't have enough of a budget yet. Maybe you need to, you know, explore, you know, there was a, a quote that somebody taught me a long time ago that stuck with me, which was saving money is not making money. And, uh, not. you know, I think that that's where business owners struggle though sometimes is that they're trying to cut, 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 cut instead of spend. And they don't understand that spending as long as you're aware of how you're spending and you're mindful of the strategy and the approach and you've got kind of all of the facts in front of you before you get started, it should be fruitious in the long term. Like it should help you grow your business the way you want. But 
you've got to put those goals down. You have to have that stuff on paper. Like if you don't have it there in front of you, then what are you working towards? You know, yeah. that was something that early in my, you know, business owner days that I, I just knew in my head, hypothetically, like I wanted to be successful and I wanted to make X amount of dollars of revenue, but there was no like unified vision from a team perspective where it was like, Hey, we want to do X dollars in revenue this year. And in order to get there, we have to do X, Y, Z. And yeah. actually just had a lunch with a, a client and a good friend of mine who kind of just like gave me like a good kick in the ass to be, you know, excuse my French, because I was like, man, like our sales aren't doing very well right now. And our, I think, I think it's, you know, our sales guy might not be doing the things he should be doing. And, and so he asked me some questions and then he just kind of got me. He was like, Hey, he's like, I think it's your fault. And I was like, no, don't. it's like, don't blame <laughs> don't, me. Don't, don't blame me. Well, <laughs> Well, a couple of things. So I talk about a little, you know, everybody has all little catchphrases, but prescription without diagnosis is not yeah. practice. Yes. You know, so like if you're prescribing to somebody and you haven't diagnosed what they are, you're just, yeah, hey, I think you should take this. Well, you might kill them, right? That's right, exactly. Um, and the other thing, the thing we do as a company, which is what I wish a lot more companies would do. So when I was in the operational seat for, we implemented EOS, which is the Gina Wickman's traction. And so- yeah internally that's what we use so we establish these rocks we're looking at like what our BHAG is and all of that allows us to really like understand um, where we're headed with the business and so um, that's what I look at for smaller companies in particular because they can implement that and then it gets everybody rowing the boat in the same direction so yeah so you've you've interviewed a ton of entrepreneurs over the years I think you've talked to over a thousand is that right I have so <laughs> How'd you get to back, that number, first of all? <laughs> okay, so, so I'll tell you the story. So back in 2010, which will tell you how old I am, um, I was the CEO of my research company and we had leveled out on revenue. So we were not growing the way that we should. You know, We really weren't hitting our numbers. And so that's when I joined Vistage. So I joined Vistage and I'm like, hey, so it must be me, right? Like we can't seem to get over this number. And one of the things that was diagnosed, I brought in a marketing firm. It was really one of the first time I'd ever really worked with a marketing firm. Uh, we worked a lot with marketing groups because we were doing research and typically the marketing team would bring us in to say, hey, does this thing work or why doesn't it, whatever. And so they said, they came in, the marketing firm came in and I ran that company like the Wizard of Oz. So I was like basically behind the screen doing everything. I ran the company, nobody knew me, right? And the whole company, but we did 350 projects a year, Fortune 500 gold, 2000 companies. Like I knew how to operate that baby like a dream. Yeah. And the marketing firm said, you need to start standing on stages. You need to start. And I'm like, I don't do that. I yeah. come in, I push my buttons, I make sure the company works, but I'm an operations guy. I'm not like the guy you're going to put on a stage. I'm like, well, you're the one who understands the business. You're the one everybody wants to hear from. And I'm like, well, okay. So I joined Toastmasters and I was so uncomfortable with the fact that I was going to have to stand on stages. And at this point I've done a lot of it. So I don't, I, I'm not bothered anymore. I thought the, safest way for me to learn how to like talk to people and present was to start a podcast. Cause in those days you didn't use video. It was all just audio and we would pre-record it. So that way, if I didn't like the recording, well, then I could just scrap it, right? Not, yeah. yeah. Scrap it. <laughs> and the thing that I was interested in is I wanted to know what kind of resources were in the way of entrepreneurs. So I wanted to talk to other entrepreneurs. So I mostly focused on Hey, was it money? Was it you didn't get the support that you expected? Whatever. So I just started interviewing entrepreneurs, interviewing entrepreneurs, interviewing entrepreneurs, and did that as a podcast for a long time. And then I was offered the opportunity to have a radio show. So I was on the radio for about two years. And I did a very similar thing where I, it was called Build Your Best Business. So kind of similar to yours of like, yeah. 
you know, your business is stalled where you are. So if you're on the, if you're on the radio every day for two years, <laughs> yeah, it just, it adds up. You've talked to a lot of people and then I've continued to do the podcast along the way. Cause it's a great way to meet new people. It's a great way to learn stuff. You know, it's a, all that kind of thing. And it's a very safe, for me, it's a kind of like a safe way to, you know, create that content and that you're not as you, you have control over it. You can turn it into blogs. You can do all kinds of stuff with it. So just been a great vehicle. I've learned a lot about entrepreneurs and I do understand what drives them and it has nothing to do with money or uh, support or any of that kind of stuff. Um, so I do have a book that I'm going to, I put a book together in 2013 around um, laddering, which is about consumer behavior. And I really want, I'm one, I'm working on another one that's around like entrepreneurs and what really drives entrepreneurs. So that's amazing. So what would you say are some of your biggest takeaways after talking to that many entrepreneurs over the years? And, and how did that, how does that affect the way you do business in your own firm now? So the biggest, the biggest uh, risk to a business with an entrepreneur is when you have an unaware entrepreneur. And what I mean by that is an entrepreneur who doesn't understand the impact that they have on the organization or the people around them. And many entrepreneurs are like that. So like they go in and they, cause all kinds of chaos because either the, the shiny object syndrome, you know, so they take the business in too many ways, they undermine people's authority. And it's typically just because they're just not aware, like they don't know that that's what they're doing. So this awareness is an incredibly important part of being an entrepreneur. It doesn't mean you won't be successful because like there's several very successful entrepreneurs that we all know and could mention that are completely unaware, <laughs> yeah. no idea what their impact is on the world. And so knowing that about yourself, makes it cleaner. Um, entrepreneurs in general are, they run in two categories. They're either rectifies or magnifies. So they're either rectifying something or they're magnifying something. Those are the two categories. And if you don't have one of those two, you're not an entrepreneur. Uh, and 80% of them are rectifies. So something terrible happened in their past. Somebody told them they wouldn't be successful. They're proving someone wrong. And so that comes from a place of, it's not the healthiest but it's also like the fire that drives them. Uh, so knowing that about yourself also helps you understand how you're making those decisions and makes it a little less crazy. You know, like, like we get, one of the reasons I want to do the podcast too is like entrepreneurship, when I did it early in my career, literally like I left a Fortune 500 company and my parents were like, well, who leaves IBM? Like, what would you do? Right, yeah. right? Entre- yeah. Being an entrepreneur, if you've ever seen the movie, The Big Chill, the guy says he's an entrepreneur and they're his friends all say, Oh, that means you're unemployed. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then it became this rock star thing to do. So everybody's like, Oh, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're a rock star. And I'm like, no, if you're an entrepreneur, you're like a little insane. Like go yeah. get a job. Exactly. Like, those people yeah. have hobbies and do things on the weekend. Like that's far healthier. So being aware of why you're doing it, like literally why you're doing it helps you to build it in a more healthy way and make sure the company is going to be successful over the long term, because that's often why companies kind of burn out is that the, the why isn't strong enough to sustain the business. Hmm. That's, that's a lot of wisdom right there. And there's something I've kind of felt the theme of this show bringing up, which was like self-awareness and self-development between the fact that you stepped out of your comfort zone and did Toastmasters. And then you did the Vistage CEO program. Like how important do you think self-development is for, a business to be successful today. Oh yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. Like 
Like that's like everybody's worried about chat GBT and what it's going to do and if it's going to take away jobs. And one of my favorite things I've seen is it's not about chat GBT. It's about the person who realizes how to use it. That's like right. How to, you know, somebody who puts something on top of it is going to be the person that like really disrupts. And our world changes dramatically all the time, almost way too much. And, you know, you, you have to know the job you have today may not exist here in the next year. Like it'd be a year could be completely disrupted. And so yeah. you've got to con con yeah, continuously sure. and constantly figure out like what's next. How is it be constantly curious? You know, that's why, you know, I talk with a lot of people who are just coming out of college and like, Oh, I'm so afraid. Like I've picked this career and maybe I don't like it. And I'm like, you're going to have like seven careers. That's right. This is, start, this is start. Yeah. Just do something. Right. And, and understand that you, you can't like, that's one of one of the saddest things I might hear from like somebody who might work for me or work in a company where they're like, and you say, well, where do you want to be in the next three years? Well, I'd like to be exactly doing the job I'm doing right now. And I'm like, wow, that, that may not even be a job. Yeah, exactly. You better so, be willing to adapt and pivot more than yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Chat GPT freaked me out for the first day. And then like my team like sat down and we just like, we just hacked it, you know, like, like yeah. it's funny that I'm saying that because the podcast, but seriously, like we really did. We said, how can we leverage this technology to not only make us more productive, but also how can we adapt and use it in other ways that we're doing business? And we've yeah. already started to play with that. Like we use, uh, there's a software called Process Street. I don't know if you're familiar, but Process Street is a software where you can document all of your, your internal standard operating procedure processes, but it also works as a, I'll say loosely could work as a project management software as well. Because each individual task you can completely customize with forms and uh, you oh, know, cool. like data, yeah. you name it, right? Well, there's a the ability if you're if you're you know tech savvy to integrate Process Street through Zapier, which is a connector mm -hmm. tool, yeah. uh, with ChatGPT. So now I can say, hey, automatically at the top of every month, spin up social content for this specific client, and now my social team is able to look through that content and say, yeah, this is not final content. Like we're not publishing this, but this gives us like a like a, a starting place, right? Yeah. But just being able to automate processes like that or things take it even more personal. Hey, at the end of a sales meeting, automatically take the person's name out of my process and then send them a handwritten card using a software like handwritten.com. Yeah. And then include a piece of context like, you know, a quote from their favorite author, right? And it can and it creates all that because I can use ChatGPT to go do that research and data. So th I think that the agencies, the firms, the business owners, the entrepreneurs, the people listening to this show that take that technology and figure out how to use it to their their you know benefit they're going to be more successful i, I think you uh, yeah. know i don't yeah. think they'll be I, I just, replaced and i still i write for ink and my i yeah. had an article come out yesterday about chat gpt and how i've been using it in my business and it is kind of similar types of things so having it write the metadata for all of the website yeah. pages because google rewrites them anyway so just have it do it right and then uh, i use it as no, a research tool not, extensively yeah. so we'll start these like new discovery sessions that's one thing i've really loved about it we had a client come on board and they were using a platform i'd never heard of i literally never heard of. i probably should have heard sure, of it but, but yeah. i never heard of it <laughs> and i went to chat gpt and i was like so give me a list of some companies that use this platform and it gave me 10 companies and how they use it that was amazing it would have taken me a day to do all that research, you know, Google searches and whatever. And it just gave me 10 companies exactly how they used it. So I was like, okay, so this is a tool it's used by 
highly transactional companies. It's, you know, e-commerce, like I knew all that about it. And then I walked in with like this amazing context. So that's something I would typically assign like a research person to do, but yeah. Or, or it was just a giant time suck in general where you're just like, man, I yeah. just wasted a whole day. It took a day. Yeah. It taking a day to get all of that information. I got it in like a minute. So it really is like a, an assistant. Oh yeah. Like right now. Yeah. Same, and same for us. We're using it even for stuff yeah. like, uh, you know, obviously as a podcaster yourself, we've been able to take literally the link to our final YouTube videos and paste it into chat GPT and say, Hey, can you create a summary of this episode? Oh, that's cool. And it will actually do the summary. So basically it's creating show notes for us. Right. That's yeah. something that, you and know, I love how you yeah. can tell it, like, try, try again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't like that. Try again. Yeah. Like, what could you do? Again? And I've learned so, too, like yeah. you can even really, you can shape the content. Hey, make that a, make that a little funnier, make that more personable yeah. or, yeah. You know, uh, hey, could, like I needed a the I needed the start of an ebook. I had this idea for an ebook. We had a team meeting about it, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna get the start of the content. Give me an outline. Um, and it came back, and I was like, how many words is this? And it said 750. And I was like, I'm shooting for 2500. And it said, okay, here's a more thorough version. And I was just like, yeah. oh, this is this is so phenomenal. Well, and and that, but that is, you know, if you think about it, right, like the role or the, the world is about us moving into the highest value of what you do. Yeah. Right. And so the highest value is to, is the stuff coming to you and letting you shop for it. And you and I have both been on those calls with clients where you're yeah. doing like the brief, <laughs> you know, like, Oh my gosh, we've been like on seven calls. Sure. Like, wouldn't it be better to give them something and like kind of work together and be like, well, what about this? Well, you think this, well, the language isn't quite right. Da, 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 da. And it can quickly do that. Exactly. Where, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I see it as like a, it's like what Microsoft tried to do with clip. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Like really <laughs> the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. It actually works. So. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And and the technology is beyond that, man. We're using, we're using a number, a number of other tools to do similar stuff. We're using some podcast AI right now. That's been really incredible for creating social content around an episode. We've been using one uh, for creating like concept art. So like I do a lot of like t-shirt branding jobs and things like that for like, you know, clothing lines. And I can put yeah. in like a, an idea for my head, create a World War II era, um, you know, veteran inspired Americana t-shirt. And it will spin yeah. back four concepts. And I'll take those yeah. concepts to the client and I'm like, hey, listen, this is very abstract. This is AI generated. But what do you think about like the look and feel of these? It's at least a starting point. And if they're like, it's a yeah, and I don't have to yeah. spend hours and hours on design that they're going to just say, eh, no, we don't like that. I hate, I hate all, all these looks. Yeah. It's like, it didn't take me right. any time to create the art. Once they say, yeah, we like the vision of that. Now I get my illustrator involved. Now I get my artists involved. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, and the, the, the other thing that I've seen about it, which is, which is one of the more true statements is like, you know, as a marketer, like your intent is to create an emotional response. Yeah. Like I either want to make, I either want you to hate it, yeah. like hate, yes, it, hate it, or I want you to love it. Yeah. Right. I, but I definitely want you to talk about it. Right. For sure. And so, um, what's nice about what they talk about with chat GPT is it doesn't have feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and so it can give me these ideas and I'm like, well, none of them have an emotion. I'm the one with the emotion. So as I go through them, I'm having the emotional response to it, which is kind of what you're doing too, when you're trying to get a client to pick from multiple concepts, you know, and you can't quite get them to land on what it is. You're That's like, right. okay, well, here's a mood board. Like what on this do you like? What does it look like? So, and I do like, I'm a bad Googler. Like I don't yeah. really know how to do Google <laughs> search correctly. Like I've, you know, don't know what you're supposed to write or do. And what I've enjoyed about ChatGPT is that 
you you don't have i feel like it like kind of gets it yeah it like just you can does. say it in lots of different ways yeah. and i'm like well do i have to put this in quotes or am i going to have to say this and then it picks up what i mean by i'm like oh that's amazing yeah it's, like i can just it's pretty incredible like i mean it's, I it's terrifying yeah. but amazing all at the same time it's the one tool right now that i think if they like said okay no more access I don't know. Well, they sort of have, like it's been <laughs> at high demand yeah. and they're trying to get you to pay. And I'm like, dude, I'll pay. Yeah, well, tell Fine. me, tell me what it costs. Take my money. Yeah. I told, <laughs> take my money. I told the team, I was like, this is the one tool that I will cancel all other tools for. Like, yeah, this, it's yeah. incredible. We actually already did pay or pay paying for their API side of things right now to feed into that yeah. process that I told you about. But I mean, it really is just phenomenal. And I think that's a great transition for me to ask you this question. I mean, how do you stay up to date with the trends, the developments? Because everything's changing the marketing industry all the time. I mean, how do you guys keep up with that stuff? Well, so if we think about this as a firm, right? And so, and we have different people who are different practice areas. So you've got people who are responsible for content and social and like each one of them. And then there's copy and there's design and there's blah, blah. My expectation of those individuals is they're kind of the, the practice manager for that practice. And so I want them to bring to me and know kind of what the trends are, which means their their universe isn't as huge as mine, right? Because like if I'm the generalist, but that really like an intellectual property lawyer needs to know what the latest law is. The a tax attorney needs to know what the latest IRS regulations are. So as we think about this as being different practice areas and it being a marketing firm where we can pass those practice areas along or they die off because, you know, there probably was horse laws at some point and they probably don't exist anymore. (laughs) So, you know, so that horse practice manager, they're gone. But, you know, so what do those things look like? So having people who are kind of naturally cure, our people love their craft, right? Like they love their craft and they want to be great at it and they want to know what's next and what's going to be compelling and it does cause some internal strife, which I think is a good thing because you can look at a problem and everybody who's from their craft will be like, oh, well, I think we should do the following because I'm in the video group and da 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 da. Oh, I think we should do this. And then you have to have somebody who arbitrates it, who's typically the one who understands the account and what they're going to go for, right? For me, I'm just naturally curious, man. Like, and it's not about. I don't, you know, there are people who like the technology for like, cause they want to be the first person or the blood. And I call myself a technologist, but it's always been about like, well, what can the technology do for me? Like, I don't really, I don't care about the technology. If it's just like a, it's a, a bobble, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, like, uh, those little silly toys the kids used to play with to kind of keep little the thing pops. alive. Yeah, and things, like, yeah. <laughs> right. But if it, I'm, I fall in that category. Cause you know, there are people who don't want to give away their data and we have a great, quote, we did a thing on privacy this week and Steve Jobs talked about it. And he said like, Hey, so in some cases people want to give away all their data because they want things to be convenient. Then you have some people who are like, no, 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 I want it to be private and I don't mind, you know, doing things on my own or whatever. I'll tell you anything. If things just magically happen in my life, (laughs) you know, the the lights come on, the car cranks, the (laughs) groceries show up. Right. And so it's that, how do we use technology as an enabler so that we can go do the things we want to do, right? Because a lot of those things you don't want to do. Like, did I want to spend eight hours figuring out what companies use this technology? No, I just (laughs) need to know the answer to the question. So I got it in five minutes and I could move on and do the part that I really like. So so I'm naturally curious. I just... That's amazing. But naturally curious from the perspective of that. Yeah. You know? People people ask me all the time, they're like, Andrew, how how do you find this stuff? And I'm like, I'm passionate about what I do. And if I'm passionate yeah. about what I do, hopefully I'm consuming that type of content. Hopefully I'm, I mean, 
I don't want to work with a, you know, I don't know, any expert who's not working on self-development and continuing education because it tells me that you don't care that much, right? Like, yeah. you think you know it all. Well, well, you have, like, you know, there are people who know, like, everything about cars. I know stuff about sports or whatever, and I don't. Like, I literally don't. And so, but these other categories, they're very interesting to me, and I can keep up with what happened and whatever. Sure. And it just happens to be, and it's just happened to be able to make money at it. Yeah. Yeah. All my, all my <laughs> friends are real sports buffs, and I'm, like, the, the nerd for sure. And like, you know, like one of my buddies was in my office the other day and he was like talking about fantasy football. And I was like, that sounds really cool, man. Like, you're just like, I don't know anything about what you're talking about, but like, I love you and like, you're my friend and like, I'll support you. Like, I'm excited for you, but like, I'm just yeah. a dork. Like, and that's okay. You know, I'm literally, my wife is the football person. Oh, nice. and so like, we'll go to a game and I like, I'm like, what just happened? Like, I'm, I, I thought I understood this and that just was, doesn't fit. But yeah. That's right. amazing. I, I really do like the fact that you, you speak to the passion that each of your employees brings to their own craft, their own art, because I think that that's really the most important thing in, in a, honestly, building a team and building good culture is allowing everyone to have that creative freedom and to be able to invest in the things that bring them joy and inspire them. Because if everybody yeah. feels like the re- like the most reward in their in their position, then they're going to output so much more, right? Yeah. So yeah. that that's really incredible. Yeah. And it also gets away from like what we see in companies and why they should engage a firm like mine or yours is they try to make people do too many things and they're not good at any of that. Yeah. Right? It's like, well, they may be great at you know long form writing, but not short form. It's a different kind of you know, it's a different craft, right? And so if you try to make somebody too much of a generalist, you just get, I mean, marketing by committee is terrible. Yeah. Like you don't want washed out marketing. Like you want something that just sings. Exactly. So Yeah, that, that totally yeah. makes sense. Well, I know we're kind of coming up towards the end of our time together. I like to wrap every episode up by asking for a business growth hack, something that you could leave our listeners with that they might be able to apply into their business today, tomorrow, this week, this month, whatever, it's going to help them move the needle in some way. So I'm going to let you do that after the little drop of a sound effect. Hacks! All right, Eric, what you got for <laughs> us, man? So hacking is, my favorite is the reuse of content. So like if somebody creates a piece of content, what I see the mistake is that they get so happy that it's created that they don't do anything else with it. So like, like oh, we do a webinar or a podcast or whatever. And then they're like, oh, thank goodness that's over. Never done. No, you just started, right? Like now we turn it into a blog and we turn it into social media posts and we talk about it a million times. I have 160 articles on Inc. and my team will share an article and they'll be like, and I'll run into somebody like, hey, I'm, I love that article you wrote this week. And I'm like, which one? And like the one about being a good manager. I'm like, well, I wrote that one three years ago. I'm <laughs> so thanks. glad it was helpful to you today. <laughs> so that reuse of what you already have is something, you know, we always are looking for the shiny new thing and you don't have to create a, you, you should, you got to create content, but like reuse it. Like, don't just give up on it and make sure that you're continuing to really get the most out of it. Squeeze it like a lemon. Get as much much juice out of that thing as you can. Yeah, I mean, and it goes back to our conversation around like these new tools and AI that's coming out. I mean, that is easier now than it's ever been, right? I can take right. that podcast episode and plug it into ChatGPT and say, hey, give me 30 social media posts to go with this. You mm-hmm. know, give me, uh, you know, an overview of this, a summary of this. Give me a video script to talk about this. Like, just the power of the technology that we have at our fingers is just incredible to make it like, and that's why I always tell people they're like, should we do a video with our podcast? It's like, I mean, like, why yeah, not? You? Like you're already sitting there right. for an hour and having a conversation. Like, even if yeah. you don't want the full length video to be anywhere because you just don't feel comfortable with that, that's fine. Let's take some short 20, 30 second clips 
and let's leverage that for social media for the next three months. Well, and you've got to support different learning styles. There are people who read, people who listen, people like visual. So if you're only doing one, you're only supporting one learning style of your clients and they're going to have all of them. Yeah. So it's really got to be a thing. So, yeah. And I like the, like the, you know, story you shared about, you know, your old content is like still some of your most popular. That's a, it's the exact same thing with me. I wrote this blog post nearly 10 years ago called the top four reasons why you should never start a business. And it is still well, I wrote, my most popular. Article. I wrote one. <laughs> 10 simple marketing tips for Inc. And I think I wrote it like 10 and I wouldn't even suggest any of them. And I didn't really think of myself <laughs> as a really great marketer then. And so it still comes up organically because like you go church, like you're yeah. going to find that article. And I'm kind of like, mm, can we take it down? You're like, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, exactly. This is <laughs> a while ago. This doesn't make me sound very smart. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, well, but yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, hey, I, I always like to give the opportunity for our guests to kind of promote or plug whatever they have. I know we talked a little bit about your book, but what else have, have you got coming up? How can our listeners support you? Um, obviously, I'd like to stay in touch because your story is amazing and you're great to talk to. So yeah, what can we do to support you? I mean, find me on LinkedIn and send a connection. I'm always glad to make new connections with people. I go to tons of fintech and insurance conferences and manufacturing because those are kind of the three big categories that we work in a lot. Uh, and we do have a webinar coming up at the beginning of March, which, which of course will become a replayable thing on the difference between lead and demand gen. And we're specifically going to talk about B2B. So uh, they should be able to find that from our website, library.com, which we've got a new version of the site coming out at the end of February. We did a slight rebranding. So we've got a really, the brand is going to been touched and going nice. to be available then. So yeah, that's, so I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Eric. Hey man, thanks again for your time. I appreciate the the value brought to our audience. I look forward to staying in touch because like I said, I think you have a lot of great things. I can't wait to hear about the new book you're working on. So whenever that drops, we'll definitely have you back on. We can take a whole nother path. We can talk about entrepreneurship. We can talk about yeah. why and why you should not consider to get into entrepreneurship in the first place. <laughs> and then we'll give you tips if you decided to do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's like when I, because uh, I talk to people and I'm like, oh, I don't think actually you could be an entrepreneur. That's always the sad one, right? It's yeah. like, oh, you're too healthy. <laughs> <laughs> you're so sweet. You're you're bless successful. your heart. <laughs> oh, you had a great childhood. <laughs> yeah. This is, you're not ready for this. <laughs> right. All right, Eric. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Growth Hacks podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. To get more marketing tips and tricks, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Beefy Marketing. And to take your business to the next level, check out our website at www.beefymarketing.com.